0: All right guys, got another fantastic episode of the podcast coming at you. One of my big goals in the second season as I was producing the podcast and I was already looking ahead was that I really wanted to have a licensed therapist on the podcast. All I can do is share my experience and if that in some way resonates with you or helps you, I think that's fantastic and tremendous, but I am not an expert in this, you know, and I will say that time and time again, I am navigating this just like anyone else uh, with a lot of help and, and support. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guest on the podcast, who is Amanda E. White. She is a licensed therapist. She calls herself a retired party girl. And she is the creator of the popular Instagram account, Therapy for Women. So Amanda and I had this incredible conversation. It was so insightful about setting boundaries and why that can be so difficult and filled with shame and guilt and the people pleaser in all of us, you know, we find it really hard to set boundaries in our lives. And I know personally, this is something that I've struggled with. I continue to struggle with. So I was so grateful for Amanda's time and expertise on the subject matter. And she also has a book coming out. So I am so excited we get into that. It is coming out January 4th and it is called Not Drinking Tonight And what I love about this book is it's really a different take on it. And and Amanda gets into it. You know, it's not necessarily this sort of 12 step. You're an alcoholic. Let's point out all of these sort of problems and shame you. It's more or less like anything in our lives, questioning the relationship that we have with something and why are we doing it and just taking a broader look at that you know it's not black and white and one end of the spectrum or the other and i am so so excited for her to be releasing this book out into the world i'm excited for you guys to get a hold of it you can pre-order it now her practice therapy for women is based in philadelphia so if you're in the philadelphia area and are interested in doing in-person therapy reach out i will leave all of that info in the show notes and they are also doing online sessions so again if you think that and feel like therapy is something that you would like to begin the journey on i will also leave that resource there so you can learn more about online sessions so with that let's get into the episode hey everyone and welcome to reality by rage so i started this podcast as a safe space to openly share and talk about our mental health following my own struggles with grief anxiety and depression after the loss of my parents my hope was that in sharing my story, I could somehow help you feel less alone if you were also struggling. And along the way, I'll speak with experts in their field covering everything from nutrition to going to therapy and so much more. Because at the end of the day, no one should have to suffer in silence. So let's start getting healthier and feeling better together. I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself and your background, please. Yeah. So I'm Amanda
1: White. Um, I am a licensed therapist. I am the owner of a group practice uh, called Therapy for Women Center. And um, I'm also, you know, you might know me on social media at Therapy for Women. And I just wrote a book. Um, So I'm sober. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. I struggled a lot with my mental health growing up. And I really wanted to become a therapist because I saw a lot of therapists who I didn't resonate with when I was young. Mm. And that's really why I try to bring not just my expertise in terms of education and training, but also that personal relatability, because I really believe that humans heal in connection with one another and not just from um, someone telling us what to do. (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah, that, that really hits home with me because I think, you know, in, when you're in therapy, I've been in therapy for like three years, you almost feel kind of guilty when you want to look for a different therapist and it's because it's not, it's not connecting, it's not resonating and you have to find that right person. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you say that. And I think, gosh, there's just so much to unpack in just sort of your intro there, um, (laughs) And, you know, I want you to share whatever you're comfortable sharing, but is it those past experiences that made you want to be a therapist or what sort of, what was the catalyst for that? Because let's be honest, that's, that's not an easy career. I mean, you're hearing heavy stuff, you're dealing with heavy things and yeah. What, what sort of guided you to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it is absolutely my background that guided me towards that. Like I said, I saw a bunch of therapists who I didn't connect with, and then I found a therapist, who was just such an amazing fit, who was honest about her own struggles and that completely transformed the experience of therapy for me. And I felt so excited and connected about it that I felt like if I could provide that experience for someone, that would just be so fulfilling and incredible. And um, my Instagram was kind of just like a natural um, outgrowth of feeling like, you know, I as an individual person, I can only see so many people a week. So my Instagram was kind of a way for me to share what I know and share, um, things that to me and to other therapists might be obvious, but for a lot of people, they aren't necessarily because they don't have a lot of background about psychology or therapy or just how our brains work.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, as I was saying offline, like as I, as I sort of settle into my thirties, I realized like how complicated and intricate that process is and, and really retraining and reframing your thoughts. Uh, yeah. that's huge. That's huge in, in, in growth and really, like you said before, healing yeah. and, I, I think that's so powerful. And I, I want to talk a little bit about specifically the, the name of this, you know, therapy for women and why, how that all came about and sort of why you wanted that to be so specific. I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, it kind of was a natural. So before I had a group practice, it was just me. And I, because I came into the field and was young, my first internships and stuff, I was always put working with women. They just were like, this is what you should do. Um <laughs> It also just seems like with eating disorders, especially it is just, although they are very rampant in men and, you know, especially like non-binary people and things like that. But when I got into the field eight, 10 years ago, um, it wasn't talked about as much. Um, so that was a natural kind of, I worked with a lot of women cause I worked with women with individuals with eating disorders, So when I kind of went out on my own to start a private practice, I loved working with women. I loved, um, I specifically love that overlap of, um, women's issues that kind of becomes right. That perfectionism boundary issues, guilt, shame, maybe some eating disorder stuff, maybe addiction. And I was very frustrated when I was seeking therapy that I was often bounced around to different types of therapists who specialized in different things. Mm-hmm. And um, I really believe in looking at kind of uh, all those overlaps and yeah. that kind of really allows you to see the whole person and sees how those different things interact with each other. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I specialize in in my clinical work is like that eating disorders, co-addiction, alcohol use, trauma and all that overlap. And then my practice became essentially just a natural progression of that, where we have a lot of different therapists who specialize in different modalities, who all work collaboratively together so that we can treat people
0: holistically. Mm, I love that. I think there's so many puzzle pieces that kind of make us up. And it's exactly what you said. You know, if we're seeing one person for this, or maybe they're not as well-versed in this certain area how are you supposed to understand the whole picture of yourself by having those conversations when you show up for therapy each week so i exactly exactly and it's it's
1: interesting right because as a therapist i can't specialize in everything of course but if i specifically specialize right so it would be a lot if i said that i could treat everyone with all of these overlapping issues and because i love the intersection i was kind of like well i will niche like niche down you know, working with women, especially I work with, you know, millennial women or younger women, Mm. and then I can have more experience and spend more time instead of looking at how these things might occur differently in men, in other populations. I can look at this broader range and really help, um, people, you know, who were younger women who kind of went through what I did.
0: Mm. Yeah. I I think that's so important. And you hit, you hit on so many things that, you know, particularly me as a an elder millennial, I really, yeah. I really resonate with. And this sort of idea of perfectionism and wanting to be a people pleaser. And we have to do it all and show up for everything. And I think, you know, as I, I said when I started our conversation, you know, this idea of setting boundaries and mm-hmm you talk a lot about that and you talk about it so eloquently. And I, I I think it's so, it's so important, but I also think it's something that, again, like you said, particularly women we struggle with. Yes. And I, I would just kind of love to have you, I guess that's kind of two parts, like why is it so difficult to set boundaries? Like, why do we feel that, that guilt and, and how do we talk about, I guess the second part of that is how do we talk about setting boundaries or set those boundaries with people in our lives, ourselves even, and, yeah. and do that in a way that doesn't feel harsh or like we're kind of coming at someone. Cause I think personally, I'll speak for myself. You know, I, I struggle with that, especially this time of year, we're heading into the holidays and there's this family thing. There's this friend thing. There's this, there's that. And maybe you do really want to do it all but it's impossible. So I I would love for you to kind of speak to some of those things, please.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think one thing that can help, I remind clients is, especially if we think about millennials and our parents, most of us were not raised with parents who went to therapy or therapy was normal or mental health was talked about. Um, If we think about, if we put it into perspective, I mean, like the field of therapy counseling didn't even really become a thing until about the 1950s before that it was more in terms of people had severe mental illness i mean to put it in perspective if you think about how much um our culture is reflected just in like diagnoses that exists right you can uh, you can see what the cultural values are i mean homosexuality was literally listed as uh, a mental health disorder until the seventies, which is insane.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yes. So sometimes I say that just to orient ourselves in our parents. Most of our parents were raised during that time when therapy was just becoming a thing or before. So they didn't know about us. Their parents probably were around the great depression ish. So they were raised to be like, you're so lucky that you even, you know, have food on the table. You should be grateful if you're not, you know, if you have your basic needs met, you should be happy. Um, We also didn't even know that the brain could change that much until like, you know, the, the 21st century, which is really wild. So millennials are kind of like the first therapy generation, so to speak, where we all learned about boundaries and mental health. Most of us in our twenties, our thirties, later in our life. Um, so I think it's a lot more unnatural for us, and we feel a lot more guilt to set boundaries. I think women, especially if we talk about right, like patriarchal values and you know all of these exp- expectations of being nice, being liked being, you know, not wanting to be perceived as, you know, a B-I-T-C-H, like all <laughs> of that stuff, right? Like yes. that all kind of rubs up against mm-hmm. boundaries and taking care of ourselves. Um, so that definitely impacts guilt where I've just been seeing younger generations who have been, you know, like if you think about the generations that have been in therapy that are much more well-versed with mental health. Um they have a lot less guilt for sure just because it's kind of normal to them. Um so yeah, I think that answers kind of the first part of the question.
0: Yeah, I mean gosh, I I love that because it's so interesting. So both of my parents were, you know, much older kind of exactly what you're hitting on and you know, my mom had me in her 40s. So yeah. she grew up like one of seven So it's like a thousand percent what you're saying where it's like her Christmas was basically like they all all of her and her siblings got like used ice skates and went down to the local pond. And that was huge. That's a big deal. So it's like, again, those values are pressed upon me of like, well, I shouldn't complain about anything. I should go to everything. I should do this. I should, you know, have my house clean and work. 40 plus hours a week and still be so nice and smiling because I want everybody to like me because that's what I'm told. So I, that breakdown is so fascinating to me. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And it's really crazy, I think, to think about too, because like until recently, I think we didn't understand that you can have your needs met. You can have a quote unquote, good life, right? On paper. And that doesn't mean, that you have good mental health, right? Like it doesn't mean that necessarily it's the same as I think we're really starting to look at how mental health is similar to physical health in that you can do the right things. You can take care of yourself and you may still, you know, there's a big genetic component of mental health as well, that some of us are just wired differently. I think The world is a lot right now. I mean, internet and social media, we know based on studies, really, really negatively impacts our mental health. We have, you know, the pandemic is still going on. There's a lot less boundaries between work and home, which really impact us. Um, There is like a kind of a baseline expectation these days that you should be on and you should be available 24 seven. And yes. I feel like also the world hasn't quite caught up with the huge, you know, the huge shift that happened with the internet.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think the other interesting point to your previous statements is sort of this idea of we're this generation of sort of quote, unquote therapy kids, right? Yeah. It, but I sometimes still struggle with, I feel like we don't, we still don't talk about it though. There's yeah. still a lot of shame. Around that, despite us making so much progress, it feels like. And I find that so interesting that you say, like, I, cause I do agree with you. I, I would say this is probably the biggest generation that has taken the step to focus on their mental health, but it still feels like their shame, or especially take it a step further. Like, I, I never want to talk about, oh, well, I take an antidepressant. Yeah. Whoa, hold on. Then there's yeah. something really, really wrong with me then. Right. Like therapy. Yeah. Okay. Antidepress- right. oh, no, that's another step. No, no, no. So I guess I'm curious Do you as, as a professional in this field, do you see that sort of stigma starting to lift? Do you think, obviously there, I'm sure there's more work to be done in that, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there are lines and I think it also gets messy and complicated with the wellness industry in terms of, I think if you start to think about medication shaming, which is a very real thing that happens, Mm -hmm. it kind of bumps up against this new age. You should be able to cure everything holistically with food and diet and lifestyle and all of these things there. There's still a lot of shame of people. Feeling like um, it's cheating, or it's, you know, you're everyone is over medicated, and there isn't a lot of conversation about uh just like, you know, the world, what's going on, why people might be needing antidepressants, how the world maybe impacts us, how our yeah. brains might be changing. Um, and just how much, I mean, if you think about how we all take, you know, medication for our, you know, when we feel physically ill for something. And we, I mean, there's some shame that happens with that, but by far, you know, for sure less.
0: Yeah. I absolutely.
1: think my goal and my hope is really like that we're changing. And I hope to see us talk about mental health in the same way that we talk about physical health, where you can, like, I think there should be, you know, obviously this gets into a whole nother issue, but like mental health care and people should be able to go to a therapist in the same way that they can go to a doctor, you don't need to have a problem or have a specific diagnosis to be able to, um, see, you know, a therapist would be amazing. All of those types of things I would like to see normalized for sure.
0: Oh my God. I mean, preach a thousand, a thousand percent. I think so much this connection of, of the mind and body. And I think so many physical things, particularly like an, our, our gut health and, yep how we feel. It's so much more from my understanding and reading what's going on in our brains and in our head and our mental health than it is actually maybe even dietary or physical. So I, I, I cannot agree with you more. Um, so I want to get back to, I want to tackle this second part of, of setting those boundaries. Like, I think we've You know, you've done this amazing job of laying the sort of foundation of why maybe we struggle with setting them, and that was really eye-opening for me to hear. It's like, oh, that is why I struggle with setting boundaries. So, what, what steps? do we take, where do I start, Amanda? I'm lost. Please, please help.
1: (laughs) So I think one of the hardest things is people often want to change their mindset before they take action. They feel like as soon as I don't feel guilty about setting boundaries, as soon as I work through this guilt, then I will set, the boundary but i need to work through this guilt first mm. and the truth is with something that is like an action-oriented thing we have to take the step first we can take a small step but we have to take some type of action first and then it will be easier for our mind to follow so i mean i think obviously the first step would be identifying potentially what boundaries you would like to set Um, so it can be helpful to orient ourselves in, there are kind of six different categories of boundaries where we might be interested in setting them. There are, um, physical boundaries, which refer to kind of our physical space, whether we shake hands with someone, how close we'll be to someone, you know, especially in like the COVID area. I think that can be something that's important. Um, there's material boundaries, which would be, you know things that we have whether we lend things whether we borrow things um stuff like that um then there's sexual boundaries which would be how you conduct yourself dating with a sexual partner all of those types of things and then really where i think people can spend a lot of time is with that there's temporal boundaries which refer to our time how much time mm. we spend with people how much time we spend alone There's mental boundaries, which are kind of like the conversations that we will talk to people about. And then there's emotional boundaries, uh, which really refers to kind of some internal work of whether we take on other people's emotions, how we take care of ourselves, what we expose ourselves to if we know that we're going to have an emotional reaction Mm. to something. So like I said, the last three are typically the ones where we want to they can be kind of the most complicated and take some time. So I would recommend for someone starting thinking about those categories and thinking about, I mean, what would they, what kind of boundaries would they like to set that they feel like they can't? What impacts them negatively day to day? To go back to your holiday example, like if it's just in terms of you feel overwhelmed by all of the different things that you're invited to. What would you like to do? What would you like to not do? Mm. Um, And then we can talk about how to actually set the boundaries, but we kind of have to know which ones we want first.
0: Uh, I love that. And I think, I think that comes to that sort of relation to physical health, right. Mm -hmm. And sort of, with, you know, with the new year coming too, I always think of like new year, new me. And it's like everything. Okay. It's, it's no sugar. It's, yes, you know, I'm going to go to the gym. And it's so interesting for your take to hear your take on that, because it's sort of the same thing. Like we can't just do everything again at once. Like you can't right. just fix these boundary issues that almost, I feel like aren't even our fault really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, right. It's
1: like the distinction of, they might not be our fault, but they are our responsibility to kind of like Mm. set and take care of ourselves because unfortunately we're the ones, there's no one else that's going to be able to, to take care of us besides us. There's no one else that's going to be able to really say no, unless you, you know, maybe with a partner or something like that, that's something you can get support on, but We have to be the ones to figure out what boundaries we want. And I think reminding, I want to remind people too that like people can so often, I think, hesitate to set boundaries because they feel like they're stuck with something.
0: Mm. Like I
1: set this boundary and then I'm committing and I can't change my mind. And boundaries are going to be something that you have to continuously work on. Like they're always going to, there's always going to be some boundary negotiation that happens. There's going to be some, resetting of boundaries that happens. A lot of the work of boundaries isn't even the initial setting of boundaries. It's like the maintaining of boundaries over time.
0: Mm, that's fascinating. Cause I think for, for me personally, it's like, I go through setting boundaries, but also putting walls up. And I think those, yeah, are, yeah like that, that's why I love that you kind of talk about that. that those things can fluctuate over time because maybe initially you're putting that boundary up as a wall. Yeah. And maybe it's not actually for you in that scenario, a healthy boundary and you're just sort of walling yourself off off from something, but then we can go ahead and like make progress and adjust that in the future when that feels right, which is
1: absolutely. And I really like to use the metaphor. So there's also We're always looking for kind of a middle ground with healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. If that person is someone we want in our life who gives us respect and stuff like that. Obviously, if it's someone who doesn't listen to your boundaries, really negatively impacts your mental health, you have a really unhealthy relationship with them, you might need a really firm boundary with them. And that is appropriate. Mm -hmm. But to kind of physicalize this, I really love metaphors. And I talk about boundaries like doors and a door. I try to say like, right, a door is different than a wall because someone can come in and out of a door. A rigid boundary would be like a solid wood door. It's very solid. There isn't wiggle room. There isn't flexibility. There are certain times where you let someone in and then you let them out
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where Ideally, we're kind of looking for more of a a screen door, right? That like filters in and keeps things out. We, you know, it lets in fresh air, but it keeps out bugs and other things.
0: And then where people
1: can fall into what gets confusing is people can also end up with like porous boundaries, they're called, where they kind of are these like holes in a wood door, so to speak. Mm -hmm. where someone's trying to figure out that healthy boundary, but that's where like people pleasing can come in where all of a sudden we have this hole in our door where like, you know, bugs and whatever rushes in and, and then we can overreact and try to be more solid. So we kind of fluctuate sometimes with that porous boundary. And, um, that's where I try to teach the goal is And I talk a lot on my Instagram too, because I think people can be overly rigid with their boundaries in Mm. addition to being not, you know, not rigid enough. Um, So sometimes I say, you know, some of us need to work on having more firm boundaries. Some of us need to work on having a little bit more flexible boundaries, depending on the person and the situation.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love that you brought up your account on social media. And of course,'ll I'll put that in the show notes because what I love about what you do there is you'll put up these posts and it'll be, you know, five, six, sometimes more examples of how to address those boundaries. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's so helpful, especially again this time of year, but of course, you can take that information and carry that with you you know, like it's a lifelong thing and and a journey with setting those boundaries. But it's like, you know, you give certain ways to address things and it can be very firm statements to sort of like you said, sort of walking it back a little bit where you don't have to be as firm with your with your words. And and I I, I love that. And I really uh, resonate with that because particularly as as a a woman of color, I relate to that about talking about diversity and inclusion, you know, in in the workplace. And there's certain ways that you can navigate that. And there's times where you do have to be very firm, like, no, this cannot happen as opposed to, okay, I'm going to give this person grace, or I'm going to address this in a certain way that I think can make both of us feel more comfortable.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's where it is helpful to have kind of I think sometimes people can just see the boundary is like, no is a complete sentence, right? That's such a common thing that we see. And it's like, yes, no can absolutely be a complete (laughs) sentence. But yes, if we also, it depending on the person, right? Especially if we're talking about someone close in our life, if we're talking about a good friend, a significant other, a parent, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, If we go from having not a lot of boundaries to all of a sudden, no being our complete sentence, setting a boundary, that can be, it can be a challenge, right? The whole goal is to have the boundaries be successful. So sometimes that might look like, like you said, depending on the context, depending on who we're setting the boundary with, tailoring our boundary Mm -hmm. to that person. So if it is someone who, you know, for example, has good intentions, not everyone does, but if you know that they have good intentions, One thing that can be helpful is to say, hey, I know that you didn't mean harm by this or like, hey, I know that you're trying to help me. I know that you're trying to do whatever. And at the same time, this doesn't work for me and asking for what you need. It can kind of just soften the initial part of that. It's not always appropriate, but that's why I try to give um, a variety of different types so that you can hopefully modify them, use them depending on the person, the situation. If this is the first time you're setting a boundary with them or the 10th time, it's going to sound differently.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I just love that there's so much flexibility because we can get so rigid in that process of setting boundaries. And I think that's one thing that you present so well. And uh, I, you know, personally, I'm really appreciative. I find it so helpful. And I think it's a fantastic resource. So again, I will. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Again, I will definitely be sharing that in the show notes. Um, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time you have a book coming out. Yeah. And I want to talk about this because you refer to yourself as a retired <laughs> party girl. I want to have you speak to this and tell us a little bit about your book that's coming out, please. So many questions. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's called not drinking tonight. It comes out January 4th and um, I'm really excited because there are so many amazing, you know, um, memoirs out there. There are such great resources, but I didn't see a lot. I didn't see any books that have been written by a therapist that aren't extremely clinical. So what I mean by that is they're, they're typically all the books by therapists that are written about alcohol or addiction are very much talking about an extreme end of the spectrum. Someone has, who has like a severe alcohol use or substance use disorder mm-hmm and that wasn't my story where i mean when i stopped drinking people in my life told me that i should keep drinking um no one thought that i had a problem when i told my parents i was an alcoholic they said that i was overreacting <laughs> they said wow <laughs> yeah they said i should keep drinking um, because they thought that i wouldn't be able to like have friends or get married ever <laughs>
0: this is, this is blowing my mind right now. Yeah. Oh my God. And
1: it's actually a common thing that can happen when someone questions their relationship with alcohol. It often becomes this odd dynamic of the person they're telling ends up making it about themselves. And they say, well, why are you not drinking? Because I drink more than you and I don't need to stop drinking. I don't have a problem. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's not about that person, right? It's actually, you know, um, And I really believe that anyone should be able to question their relationship with alcohol for any reason, regardless, they don't, they shouldn't have to call themselves an alcoholic or admit to having a quote unquote problem Mm -hmm. to be able to just explore this. Like I talk in my book about, like I said, I specialize also in eating disorders and there's a really great term within eating disorders where people can recognize they may have disordered eating
0: but it doesn't
1: mean that they have an eating disorder and it's kind of a place where we can explore. And I think a lot of us can recognize that we may fall into some disordered eating stuff once in a while, or we have in the past or whatever, Yeah. where there isn't like a term for that. So I talk in my book about the term disordered drinking and how I think a lot of us, right. Especially if we went to college, we may have fallen into some patterns, <laughs> of some disorder drinking where we were drinking in a way that wasn't healthy, that wasn't serving us. It doesn't mean that we're an alcoholic or need to quit drinking completely necessarily, but just like we can question anything else without calling it a problem. You know, when someone says they're going to stop smoking cigarettes, no one is like, why are you addicted to cigarettes? Are you a cigarette Right? Like, it's just like, great. I'm glad you're doing something for your health. And I, I wrote this book. So that you don't like really to try to move the needle on my whole point is I think anyone at any time should be able to ask the question, is my life better without alcohol and explore that in a non-stigmatizing way.
0: Mm, I, I love that because to, to your point, it feels like whenever the idea of consuming alcohol is brought up, it's it's one end of the spectrum or the other. It's so very black and white. It's either yeah. you need to go to a 12-step program or the complete opposite where it's like, what what are you talking about? Why are you not no. drinking? That's so goofy. You only have like two drinks a week. That's ridiculous. Exactly. So I I I find that super interesting. And I'd I'd love to if you're comfortable sharing where yeah. where was that shift for you where you kind of started to question that because of course I can relate like I one of my great friends went to Penn state and yeah. Oh my God. Like going up there and just having a great time and being goofy and all those things. So I think we can all relate, especially, you know, women in their thirties to being retired party girls. So yeah, I, you know, I don't question that. And I feel like you likely didn't either, but yeah, where, where was kind of that shift where you even just wanted to question your relationship with alcohol?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I definitely fell on the spectrum of after college, I just kind of kept drinking more and it felt like everyone kind of had bounced, like had settled a little bit and I kept drinking and it started getting to the point where I was drinking to kind of deal with feeling sad about being lonely Um, my eat, like I said, I had an eating disorder. So my eating disorder and the alcohol would kind of coexist and not be great together. Mm. Um, and I realized that when I tried to cut back, it wasn't working for me. So like I would try to cut back a little bit and I would always kind of end up drinking again. And really for me, the biggest thing was I hated who I was when I was out partying. Like I did things that were just super against my values. I would like, You know, I would get into big fights with my friends, I would disappear from the bar, I um, would, you know, like sleep with people that I didn't want to when I said I wasn't going to go out on another date, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just so sick of breaking all of these promises to myself and to other people. So, um. That yeah. And essentially, like the last night I drank, I like was really, really upset because I um did all of that. And then I was actually a yoga teacher at the time and I taught yoga totally drunk the next morning. Like I taught yoga at 6 a.m. and I had gone out the night before and I was still drunk in the morning. And that was, I mean, yoga at that time was like the most important thing in my life. I was a yoga teacher and I was just like, this is crazy. And I was also in school to be a therapist, and I was like, I'm not gonna be able to be. A therapist if I keep doing this. So not everyone has to have, obviously there are stories that are more, you know, extreme than mine and there are people with less. And that's kind of where in the book I have, you know, a chapter dedicated to some different signs and questions. And my whole goal of the book is we never really have an honest conversation about alcohol. And my whole goal of the book is to give people that like informed consent so that I'm not saying you have to stop drinking or you should stop drinking. I'm giving examples. I'm weaving in stories based on cases and women that I've worked with in my, you know, clinical work, and I'm also giving a lot of prompts and, um, you know, uh, journal entries and exercises so that the person who's reading the book can evaluate it for themselves.
0: I love that because what you're speaking to is just your own personal relationship with yourself and alcohol and those promises to yourself and sort of just questioning, is it getting in the way of things I'm trying to achieve? And that, that's, I think, so important. And, and thank you for sharing all of that. Those I don't think are obviously things we just kind of put out there in the world. And it's very vulnerable. And I'm, thank you. I appreciate that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You. And that's kind of right. Like mm-hmm. my whole thing is that, um, I think that in terms of with the book and everything, all the work that I try to do is all of this stuff. I really talk about in the book, how a lot of us weren't parented, like in the same way that maybe we might need some reparenting right now, not because mm-hmm. our parents weren't amazing parents, but based on the context that we talked about, most of us didn't learn from our parents how to set boundaries how to take care of our emotions like how to sit with an emotion how to engage in real self-care that isn't like you know uh bath bombs and spending money right <laughs> yeah so the whole like a hu- you know a whole part of the book the whole second section of the book is really on reparenting and stuff so that you can actually build those healthy skills so that you don't have to use alcohol to be able to have fun or take care of yourself or fill in the gaps of maybe, um, where you haven't learned how to take care of your mental health. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: think a lot of us use alcohol as that, you know, it helps us feel more comfortable in social situations. It helps us celebrate. It helps us have a hard day. And if we can actually develop the skills to do that ourselves, alcohol will play a smaller role in our lives.
0: I, uh, I love everything about that because it's so uh, it's so true that that, again, relationship and even that I was thinking about that when I was going to talk to you and I was sort of looking societally at how alcohol is portrayed. Right. Like, yeah. And I think for our generation, that is what resonates with so much of us is, oh, well, that's that's just how you have fun. We yeah. don't, we don't question it, and it's not a, It's like you said, it's not a bad thing. It's just sort of what's going on around yeah. us. I mean, think of every popular movie we saw when we were growing up, or yeah, again, it's it's how you celebrate. It's any movie you saw. Oh, I've had a I've had a tough day, right? Yes. Let me pour a drink. And again, though, I, I I love I love your approach to to this. So again, it just comes back to questioning that relationship. And again, it's not a hard stop like anything else in our lives. I don't think it's one of those things where it necessarily has to be one thing or the other. But I think ultimately it feels like what you're presenting in the book is just how do you take care of yourself better?
1: Exactly. The book comes out January 4th. It's available for pre-order everywhere. Books are sold. It's available in Kindle version, audio book, all
0: of that stuff. That is fantastic. I'm so excited for people to get a hold of this. And I, again, I think you're a fantastic resource um, online and on social media. If you want to share where people can find you and get connected in resources, please.
1: Yes. You can find me on Instagram at therapy for women. And then, yeah, if you're interested in the book, my website has a lot of details. My website is Amanda E White com and if you're interested in therapy at my practice it's TherapyForWomenCenter.com.
0: Now is this all in person or are you doing any online uh, we
1: do we sessions? do a ton
0: of virtual stuff
1: we actually have therapists licensed in 18 states now um, so while our in-person offices are only based in Philly um, we have licensed therapists who serve clients across the country.
0: Fantastic. Well, I, again, I love what you're doing. I love your approach. And I'm just so appreciative that you took time out today. So thank you. Absolutely. I loved chatting with you, Rachel. Guys, that is it for the episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I am So grateful for your time and attention, and as always, for getting your dose of reality. I'll catch you in the next one.